Amen. All right. So, Revelation chapter 20. Let's go ahead and read the first three verses to kick this off. It says in verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. I want to point out a couple of things here that I think is interesting. I like how this verse here, we're kind of at the end of everything, all right? We are at the end of the millennium now, all of a sudden. And it's basically just kind of giving us the details on what's going to happen with Satan. Or it's at the beginning of the millennium, and then it starts at the beginning and it goes right to the end. Satan is going to get cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then after the millennium, He's going to be loose for a little season. But isn't it interesting how it refers to him as that dragon? And then it says that old serpent, which is called the devil. He's going to be locked up. Why? So he cannot deceive the nations anymore. And it's, I think it calls him that on purpose because you know what? It was the serpent that deceived Eve, wasn't it? it he started out deceiving this earth as a serpent. And he has been deceiving people ever since the Garden of Eden. And thankfully, for a thousand years, he is going to be locked up. He's going to be bound in the bottomless pit. But then, he's going to be loosed for a little season. Now, you know, here's the question. So, and people have asked me this before, and I think it's a good, very good, legitimate question. And that is, why would God lose Satan after he's had him bound? Okay, now. I'm going to explain a few things to you. This is not necessarily all in this chapter, all right? But I think for us to understand this chapter, there's some things we need to understand about how God works and how God is glorified and what His purpose is. So, why would God lose Satan? I mean, wouldn't that be kind of like just catching that desperate criminal, that horrible criminal, and then just for fun letting him go again? Just so you can catch him again later? Right? But you know, the truth is that isn't really the case with the devil because really when you stop and think about it, God could take Satan down whenever He wants. I mean, Satan, yes, he is loose right now. He's walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But you know what? There's a purpose in that. There's a reason that God has him loose. Satan does serve a purpose. It's Satan who reveals who is evil. And so we see that even during the millennium, after a thousand years of Jesus ruling and reigning in righteousness, there's going to be people who do not like Jesus. In fact, it's going to be very clear here in the Bible, there's going to be a lot of them who do not like Jesus. There's going to be many, many unsaved people on the earth, even during the millennium. And so, um, you know, Satan, he is going to be let out, I believe, to help reveal who these people are. So, you know, when it, and when it comes to the millennium, one thing we need to understand, you know, there's, I think there's a lot more that we don't know about the millennium than what we do know. Okay? Now, the Bible does talk, uh, there are several passages about the millennium. We're not going to go through all those. There's a lot of them, you know, in the Old Testament that you could look at that are about the millennium. There's really not that much in Revelation about the millennium. But, uh, but, um, you know, there are certain things that we know. And But on, a lot of times people speculate, and that's fine. It's okay to speculate. It's appropriate to speculate as long as you don't go forming new doctrines from your speculation. And that's what, in, what people often do. We don't want to do that. 
But you know, here's some things though we do know about the millennium, and just some things too to help us understand why God's letting Satan out during this time. Okay, because we do we know that God could take Satan down anytime He wants. In fact, you know, at the beginning of the millennium, He is going to take Satan down. He's going to be. He will have been taken down. But yet we see God is going to loose him. He's going to let him go. And so um, there, God's going to use that time of him being loose, I believe, to reveal to us, to the world, you know, who's righteous and who is evil. And so we know there's going to be unsaved people during the millennium. And so here's a question. And this is you know where you can go into ructardation, speculating if you're not careful. And that is, you know, how are people going to get saved? During the millennium. Because think about this. Jesus Christ is going to be on earth during this time, right? So, it's not going to be real hard to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, is it? When you've seen Jesus Christ, right? So, you know, you'd have a ructar, he'd get up here, and he's like, what? You know, obviously they're not going to be preaching the death, burial, and resurrection during the millennium. Therefore, it's another gospel, right? Well, wrong, okay? There's only one gospel, and there's only one way of salvation. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. It's always been the shed blood of Jesus that has cleansed people from their sins. The people in the Old Testament, they were still able to get saved and go to heaven because they had the promise of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Today, you know, we get we were able to find cleansing from that because it already happened. And during the millennium, the crucifixion of Christ will still be something that's in the past. All right, but here's the one thing that might be slightly different is that more will have been revealed. Therefore, more will be required. Okay, Just like not as much was required for them to know in the Old Testament because many things had not been revealed, when Jesus Christ has been revealed to the world, when everyone has seen Him, there is going to be another level of accountability. There's going to be a little more information that is necessary. Okay, But what will people have to have in order to get saved? Well, whatever it is that has been revealed, all right, whatever it's being shown to them, they are going to have to believe that. They're going to have to have. They're going to have to have faith. All right. And what? What's the storyline going to be? I don't know for sure, but they're going to have to have faith. And those who get saved will not deserve to get saved, but they will if they have faith, if they believe Christ. And so, um, it, it will still be a faith-based. Thing, and like I said I don't I don't know I you know we could speculate on that I'm not going to spend a lot of time doing that but this season that Satan is loosed this is when it's going to reveal who the believers and the unbelievers are okay and get this all right it's important that we understand this because I believe what we're about to see here is also a reminder of why we have the tribulation okay because many people too all right especially in the pre-trib world. They question, you know, why would why would God allow us to go through tribulation? You know, why would God expect His people to have any type of suffering? All right, you know, well, first off, um, it's what He did. All right, you know, if they persecuted Him, they're going to persecute us. Okay, it just comes with the territory of being a follower of Christ. But ultimately, I believe it's to reveal who. The real believers are. You realize that we have a world full of people who call themselves Christians and that are not? Do you realize even in the United States, we have thousands of people calling themselves independent, fundamental, you know, 
salvation by grace through faith Baptist, and they are not. Okay? This guy uh, who made, yeah, he, there's this video that's out there of a guy that's been trashing, you know, replacement theology and things like that, that I, I referred to a lot of his quotes Sunday night. He just put out a second video against Pastor Anderson, and he was talking about his gospel presentation, how he doesn't say anything about repentance and about, or the requirement of a changed life. For somebody. That's what, exactly what he said. He didn't say anything about the requirement for a changed life for salvation. Really? Hey, see, now, I, I understand. That guy, he clearly has displayed that he's an idiot. If you watch these videos. But right there, okay, that was not a mistake. That is what many Baptists today believe. If you're not willing to change your life, and if you don't change your life, you didn't get saved. Folks, these people do not believe salvation by grace through faith. They do not believe in a free salvation that is not of works. They don't believe that. They say they do. They give lip service to it. But these people are unsaved liars is exactly what they are. But they're calling themselves Baptists. They're calling themselves Christians. And do you think for one second that when Jesus Christ comes back, remember Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith in the earth? Do you really think that when Jesus comes back, He wants there to be a whole bunch of these people representing Him, claiming to be His people that don't even preach a salvation by grace through faith? Let me tell you why we're going to have the tribulation. You know why? It's going to be to weed out the phonies. So when He comes, it's going to be clear who the real believers are and who the real ones or the, who the fake ones are. It's going to be real clear during that time. Do you think that guy is going to be standing strong in the tribulation? Absolutely not. He is going to fold. He is going to fail. All these, you know, just fake Baptists that teach you got to repent of your sins to be saved. These Baptists with this Joel Osteen mentality, we're never going to have to go through tribulation. God would never let any of that happen to us. These people are going to fall away during that time. There will be no doubt. They will not claim to be Christians. When the mark of the beast gets implemented, they will line up for it so fast and they will bow the knee. You know why? Because they're not saved. And it's going to be revealed. During the tribulation, when Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to be clear who the real believers are. It's going to be real clear who the people who actually believe in a salvation by grace through faith without works. Okay, And understand, it's going to be the same thing during the millennium. During the millennium, you're going to have Jesus Christ on this earth ruling and reigning in righteousness. Ruling with a rod of iron. He's going to have His people, us, in a glorified state serving Him all over the world. We're going to have a righteous government during that time. But is that going to take away the evil that is in the hearts of man? No. Alright? It'll keep them under control. Alright? I mean, the homos are going to stay in the closet during that time. You know, a lot of people that would want to, you know, probably in, on a normal situation would commit adultery. They're not going to during that time. But you know what? They're still going to be wicked in their heart. People are going to be living like believers. They're going to be following certain things. The Bible talks about, I think it's in Zechariah, how during the Feast of Tabernacles, the nations that do not come and worship in Jerusalem like they're supposed to, they're not going to get any rain that season. So guess what? A lot of nations are going to figure that out and they're going to go to Jerusalem like they're supposed to in the Feast of Tabernacles. But are they doing it because they love the Lord? Are they doing it because they're saved? Or are they just doing it because that's what they need to do to survive? 
And listen, after a thousand years, there's going to be a vast multitude of people who are not believers. And so Jesus is going to let Satan out for a little while. Why? He's going to reveal who the real ones are, uh, real believers are, and the phonies. And you say, why is that? Why does he need to do that? You know, why can't God just tell us? Why can't God just do like the pre-tribbers teach and just reveal it in the rapture by him just rapturing out the real ones and just letting the phonies get left behind? Why can't he just do it that way? But the truth is, God likes to make truth manifest for all to see. He likes to make it real clear. All right. For example, there's been people in the past that I knew was bad. All right? I knew these people were bad. But maybe I didn't really have the goods on them, you know, where I could, you know, just prove it to everyone else. Okay, you know, I, I mean, I've outed some people before. I got several people mad at me, you know, when I, uh, you know, outed McCraney for being a bad guy, and so you know, it, it made a lot of people upset. They didn't really think he was bad or whatever. But then, you know, when he like went and started promoting modalism and things like that. When it turned out after that that he had never been ordained, he lied about that. And then after you know he pretty much uh, you know walked away from the church that he was at, he went and started another fake church somewhere else. I mean, all that it was just like I already knew I was right about the guy, but you know what? It did feel good when everybody else now knew it too. You know, you feel vindicated, right? And so the thing is, yeah, God knows who the saved and who the unsaved are. God knows. The difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. But you know what else he wants to do? He wants to make sure everyone else knows it too. He wants to make it revealed for all to see. And during this time, you know, there it's going to become real clear after Satan is loosed out of his season, or out of his, out of the pit for a little season. And he is he's going to go, and he's going to deceive the nations. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be deceived during that time. And uh, we'll see a little more about uh, how many here in, in just a minute. But look at verse four now, okay? Because now we kind of—it's it's almost kind of like we're on another subject, okay? So first, he starts it off mentioning how you know at the end of all these things, all right? This is after the battle of the great day of God Almighty. The first thing that's going to happen—they're going to take Satan. He's going to be thrown into the pit for a thousand years, all right? And then in verse four, it says, "And I saw thrones." And they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. So we're back at the beginning of the millennium now. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This passage right here is irrefutable proof that the rapture comes after the mark of the beast. Okay, And I mentioned this on Sunday night. This is another reason why they say rapture of the church, rapture of the church, rapture of the church. Alright, they're planning a thought in your head that is not biblical. Once again, trying to separate events, trying to separate the people of God, trying to make this a different event than what we read about in Matthew chapter 4. Okay? But listen, 
while we tend to call it the rapture, I don't call it the rapture of the church. Okay, I do call I do call Christ coming the rapture a lot, but in reality, what we should be calling it for the, those who are alive is the gathering. That would be the biblical term, all right, or the catching away. Same thing, gathering, catching away, or we could call this event the resurrection. Okay? And that's what it was referred to throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, and even during the Gospels they referred to it as the resurrection. Why? Because for those people, they knew it was way out there in the future. They were all going to be dead. They knew they weren't going to get caught away, but they knew that they would rise again during that time. The resurrection and the rapture happen at the same time. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 4. Is real clear about that. Go ahead and turn over to First Corinthians or First Thessalonians, chapter four, the most famous rapture passage. Even the most hardened pre-tribber would agree that this is about the, our rapture. All right, this is the rapture. It says in verse thirteen, but I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, what is the subject of this here? He's talking about those who are dead, those who are asleep. Don't sorrow over that as those who have no hope. Why? Because they're going to rise again. Is this talking about a resurrection, folks? Or is this just talking about the rapture of the church? It's talking about a resurrection. Okay? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Okay, so far in all three of these verses, it's referred to those who are asleep. Those who are dead, right? Verse 16, For the Lord Himself should ascend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Alright? Fourth verse, it mentions the dead, and here it says they are going to rise. Would we not call this a resurrection? Would we not call this the resurrection? Alright? This is all real obvious stuff, but I, you got to be, you got to get real detailed sometimes for pre-trippers because they're so dumb. Alright, but look, it says, then we which are alive and remain, okay, now it's talking about us. Alright, those who are alive and remain. It's all been about those who are asleep first. Why? Right? Because it's about the resurrection. The resurrection of the last day. Alright? It says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them. Who's the them? Alright, referring to the dead in Christ. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Is that comfort mean comfort yourself that you're never going to have to go through tribulation? That's what the pre-tribbers do with it. No. Comfort one another. You're going to see your loved ones again. Why? Because they're going to rise from the dead. There's going to be a resurrection. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay? All pre-tribbers say that's talking about the rapture. right? So the resurrection. But why don't we call it the resurrection? Why is it they all? Why do they always say the rapture of the church? Why have I never heard a pre-tribber refer to this event as the resurrection? Why is that? I've never heard one of them refer to as the resurrection, even though the Bible mostly refers to it as the resurrection. You know, even Job understood that he would stand on the latter day upon the earth, even though even though his body was going to be decomposed, worms were going to eat it. Yet he said, "Yet in my flesh shall I see God." Why he knew he was going to rise from the dead one of these days. There's a reason they don't refer to it as the resurrection. Because if they refer to it as the resurrection, then we might associate this first resurrection with the rapture. And folks, there's no doubt about it. It's the same event. 
Alright? This is the first resurrection. And notice specifically the people that it's mentioning in here who rise in this first resurrection are those who did not take the mark of the beast. These people died for not taking the mark of the beast. And the Bible says that they rise. They are in the first resurrection. There is a resurrection at the rapture before the millennium, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. So there's another resurrection that takes place after the millennium, but if the pre-tribbers are right, according to their theology, you've got the resurrection at the rapture, then you have all these people dying from not taking the mark, and then there would, you know, I'm assuming they're not going to add a resurrection in there. You know, I, I would assume that. But here's the thing if they don't add another resurrection in at the end of the tribulation, as they want to call it, then that would mean, you know, how would these people who didn't take the mark be able to reign with Christ for a thousand years? Okay? Because according to the Bible, that first resurrection. Alright, you know, that, if that's the first one, and the rest of the dead, dead don't live until the thousand years are finished, then the, those who die for not taking the mark of the beast should not rise again until after the millennium. But they rise before the millennium. Why? Because they're going up in the rapture. This is irrefutable proof. This is another example of why they use these theological terms that aren't biblical. Why? It's to divert your attention. It's so they can call it a different event. But you know what? Let's call it what the Bible calls it. Let's call it the resurrection. In fact, we can call it the first resurrection. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the first resurrection. You know, there's a very good chance that when Christ returns at the coming of Christ, that that's, that very well may be you know, the part I play in it. I might be one of the dead in Christ rising first. Because, you know, the Lord may tarry is coming or I might get killed before the rapture comes. I don't know. I might get killed in the tribulation. I don't know. Chances are, though, I'm going to be. I'm going to rise from the dead, and it's mainly called the resurrection. Why? Because for the rapture, I mean, a vast, vast majority of the people who participate in this event are going to be rising from the dead, and because it's going to include all believers from the beginning of time until the end of the tribulation, and so. Uh, it you know just there's no way around this folks there's there's no way around it they will not even address this type of thing because it just by itself destroys their pre-trib theology so look at this in verse seven so folks I, I wish I had a lot more time to spend on this but Gog and Magog right now we're gonna look at Gog and Magog there is still a lot of holdover stupidity from the 70s when it comes to Gog and Magog which is imminency is a holdover stupidity from the 70s too folks I'm sorry. You know, a lot of the you know foolishness of end times doctrine, it's holdover stupidity from the 70s, and I, I think it will die out with that generation, um, and and good, it, it needs to die with them because it's just stupid. But you know, my whole life I heard Gog and Magog, the battle of Gog and Magog was an imminent battle. So I was like, you watching Russia? Watch what's going on in Russia. You know, look at the way these nations are all forming against Israel. Look at the way they're forming all these alliances against Israel. All these nations, the ones the Bible mentioned, the very ones the Bible mentioned are all gathering against Israel. They're all against Israel right now. 
And there's a good chance it may even be before the rapture or right after the rapture. You know, nobody ever wanted to say for sure these nations are all going to come against Israel and God's going to defeat them. If you watch Left Behind, you'll see at the beginning of the movie, uh, you know, Buck Williams is over there in Israel and all of a sudden all these planes come and they just start exploding. Planes just all start exploding. Now, they don't call it that in the movie, but that event right there, that is Gog and Magog on there. That, is, that teaching was big in the 70s and it's just one of the dumbest teachings in the world. But look at verse 7. It says, When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go to, out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to the battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So folks, Satan's going to get a lot of people. Why is this? Why are there going to be so many lost people during the millennium after a thousand years of Jesus ruling and reigning in righteousness? Why? Because Jesus Christ is that light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that we may see miracles during this time. It doesn't matter that they'll see Jesus Christ for themselves. People say all the time, well, if I could just see for myself, then I would believe. They're a liar. They lie when they say that. The reason they reject is because their deeds are evil. They don't want to know the truth. They reject the truth. They hide from the truth. And it's that's, the heart of man is not going to change just because we're in the millennium. Okay, It's just going to be good and peaceful during that time because we will have righteous government. We'll be putting down the people that need to be put down so a lot of the evil will be suppressed during that time. So, folks, when some kid that's got homosexual tendencies sees another homo getting stoned, he's going to get over it real quick. All right? He's going to get over it real fast when he sees that. So just, you know, But at the same time, the hearts of people are still going to be evil. During that time. So Satan is going to gather a number of people as the sand of the sea and they're going to come together and they're going to try to fight Jesus. They're going to try to defeat Him. And so, you know, this is a reminder of the weakness of man. Look at verse 9. It says, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Now the Bible tells the story really quick here. okay? But notice how you know it just mentions Satan's going to gather a number as the sand of the sea and they are going to compass the city, uh, the beloved city. Okay, and fire is going to come down down from God and destroy them. Now, go back to Ezekiel chapter thirty-eight. Now, there is a reason for the foolishness that we hear from the book of Ezekiel, from the pre-trib world today. And I said you don't hear a whole lot about this today. I think a lot of preachers are trying to forget that they ever taught this in the past. But uh, you don't hear them talk a whole lot about Gog and Magog anymore about this imminent battle with Russia. I think they're seeing that, that this is stupid. Okay, But you will hear them say a lot of stupidity about Ezekiel 37. In Ezekiel 37, and this is still, they're still talking about this. They haven't figured out that they're idiots for teaching this. They still teach that Ezekiel 37 was fulfilled in 1948. What they, they still teach, or it was partially fulfilled. They see Israel there forming today, and that's you know those dry bones that you know they've got the flesh on it, the sinews are joined together, and all that. But the breath of life hasn't been breathed in it yet. All right, and that's going to come after the rapture when the hundred forty-four thousand get saved, and that's a picture of you know salvation come back to Israel. That is just dumb, dumb, 
Alright, that is just, we've got to make this fit our theology somehow so we'll get desperate and make up anything. I don't have time to go through Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 is about the rapture. It's about the resurrection of the dead. That's why we see dead bodies coming together. Why can't they see that for what it is? Why can't they see the comparisons of some of the things that 37, chapter 37 mentions that we see in Matthew chapter 24? I'll tell you why. Because it's very clear this is about a gathering back to the land. They need this to be something that happened in 1948. Folks, Israel being restored to their land is going to happen in the millennium. Okay? I listened to Mike Allison. He's got some clown from his, his, it's a clown from his church that's making these videos. And he's throwing a big fit about replacement theology and talking about all these, all these promises that God promised to bring them back to the land. And you've got all these people that are saying it's of Antichrist that brought Israel back to the land. But that's wrong. It was of God. No, it wasn't. When God brings them back to the land, it's not going to look anything like it looks right now. He's going to bring them back to the land in the millennium. And you know, he didn't read any verses about him bringing them back to the land. First off, when you read the prophecies, most of those prophecies about them coming back to the land were fulfilled after their 70 years of captivity in Babylon. But there are many prophecies that clearly have a dual fulfillment that is about something in the future. But all of those passages, and he didn't use any of them. I wish he'd use some so I could just show where he was wrong. He can take a pick, all right? Any passage he would use, I could either show that was something that was fulfilled in the Old Testament or it's fulfilled in the millennium. Not right now, in the millennium. But they've got to make this event right here about what's going on in Israel right now. It has nothing to do with it, folks. Israel going back to the land of the formation of Israel is an Antichrist thing. It's all of Antichrist. God is not involved in it at all. But look at verse 38. So right after we have Ezekiel 37, what's supposed to be you know, going on right now, we've got the Gog and Magog battle. Now, if they put Ezekiel 37... After the tribulation, you know, when the rapture takes place, and then all this being restored to the land as being in the millennium, that creates a lot of problems for their theology. But it's so clear. I wish we had time to go through all of it. Look at verse, chapter 38, verse 1 says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog and the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, and the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. And I will bring thee forth and all thine army horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya with them. All of them with shield and helmet. All those countries are all against Israel right now. They all hate Israel right now. Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togarma and the north quarters and all his bands and many people with thee. Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself now and all the, thy company that are assembled unto thee. Now be a guard unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations that they shall dwell safely, all of them. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm and shall be like a cloud to cover the land and all thy bands and many people with thee. It sounds like we've got a number of people here like the sand of the sea. Like we see in Revelation. That's after the millennium. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass 
that the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought, and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. Wait a minute. Has it... These guys go to Israel all the time. They're building walls everywhere. These guys are going and praying at a wall whenever they go there. Okay? It's unwalled villages during this time. This is during the millennium, people. It's during the millennium, but they're too dumb to see that. Why? They need it to fit their theology. It says, I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates. Are they dwelling safely right now? They're always talking about all the conflict going on over there. Because there is a lot of conflict going on over there. It's not a safe place. When I was there, we would see fighter planes. You know, you'd hear the bombs and things going off. It's it's crazy. Verse 12, to take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of nations which have gotten cattle and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba and Dedan and all the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a, uh, take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take great, a great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto God, Thus saith the Lord God, In the day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it? And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company, a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land, and it shall be in the latter days. And I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, before their eyes. See, they need this to be about something modern day because it keeps talking about my people Israel. My people Israel. Okay? God's people Israel are those who are of faith. They will have been resurrected during this time. This is not, this is not a new group. Alright? This is not the people that are over there. This is clearly after, after, at the end of the millennium. Thus saith the Lord God, Art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years, that I would bring thee against them? And it shall come to pass at the same time when God shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. Well, God hates it when these nations come up against Israel. God's going to protect Israel. When they come up, boy, you know, God's going to come down on those people. You better not mess with Israel. Yet, during this time, because this is going to be real Israel. This is going to, you know, Abraham's going to be there. Moses is going to be there. Oh, and you know what? I'm going to be there too. Alright, and. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. And I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him and overflowing rain and great hailstones and fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So notice how God is going to destroy them. He's going to do it with fire and brimstone, which is exactly what it says in 
uh, verse 9 when it says, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. This is the event. Now, Ezekiel 38 goes into way more details. But in Revelation 20, it mentions this is Gog and Magog. Why? So we can have a reference point. We can go back and know this is the same event. It's the exact same event. This is at the end of the millennium. When we expect the pre-tribbers, right, they're going to get all bent out of shape on us because they think we're about three and a half years off on our timing of the rapture. Well, you know what? They're a thousand years off on their timing of Gog and Magog. Alright? So, you know, I mean, I don't know what to say about that except these people, their priorities are all mixed up. Do we really want to listen to the people who missed Gog and Magog by a thousand years and let them tell us when the rapture is supposed to come? That's absolutely ridiculous. This is clearly that event at the end of the millennium. And there's no two ways about it. And remember what I said? Why is God doing this? He wants it to be revealed who His people are. He wants it to be revealed that He is right that he did what that he kept his promise that what he said is true he doesn't want to just know it for himself he wants everyone to know it so after this takes place after this Gog and Magog battle takes place the whole world's going to know it's not going to be a just take my word for it okay and listen god wants us to trust him okay god wants us to trust him when we don't know what's going on when we don't know what to do when we're not sure god wants us to trust him but listen one of these days, He's going to reveal it to us that you know what? Your trust was not in vain. He's going to make sure that we know where there's not going to be any doubt. Sometimes we've got to trust people. We've just got to follow them, you know, just hoping they're doing the right thing. And a lot of times we don't really know. But isn't it nice when it is revealed and we're like, man, we did do the right thing. There's no doubt anymore. And there will be no doubt after this event takes place. So, uh, and we don't have time to go to uh, uh, you know Ezekiel 39, but Ezekiel 39 makes it even more clear this is at the end of the millennium. I mean, it is insane that they. And, and I've heard some people when I've challenged them on this. Well, I think that you know it's kind of a you know a dual thing. There's a Gog and Magog before the rapture and a Gog and Magog you know at the end of the millennium. Wrong. Okay. They need that. They desperately need 37, 38, and 39 to be about modern day Israel. But folks, 1948 was a fraud. 1948 wasn't the beginning, but it was a huge step in the movement, the Antichrist movement. It had, God was not involved in that. It was the devil that was involved in that, Mike Allison. And you're off by about a thousand years on your interpretation of Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39. Why? Because these clowns, they read late great planet Earth. They read Hal Lindsey. They listened to all these TV preachers in the 70s. And they got this stuff stuck in their heads. And they've said so much, they can't back down. But you know what? These guys, are just, they're, going to, they're becoming irrelevant. They see that things are changing. That people are waking up. And you know what? God's not using them anymore. God's not God's God's done with the, with most of these guys, and they're just these guys got one foot in a grave and another foot in a banana peel, and they're just in, they're in denial right now. They see it coming. They see the sun setting on their reign. They see the sun setting on their importance. They see that, and you know what? I hope they see it completely set. 
I hope they live long enough to see it happen. I, I, I thank God it's happening. But look at verse 10. It says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Alright? Now notice that, remember, Satan, he was cast in that bottomless pit for a thousand years. He's loose. Now he is going to be cast into the lake of fire. If you remember before, the beast and the false prophet were taken. They were the first ones that were thrown into the lake of fire at the, at the end of you know the wrath of God period. So notice, a thousand years later, it, when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire, it doesn't say where the beast and the false prophet were. Notice that it says it's where the beast and the false prophet are. Alright? So, and there's a lot of people out there on the internet and stuff trying to teach that the lake of fire just burns everybody up and it's done. No, no, it doesn't. The beast and the false prophet are men. Okay? They were men just like us. They were just are going to be men who are greatly used by the devil. But a thousand years after they have been cast in the lake of fire, when Satan joins them, they're still there. They didn't burn up. They didn't. Uh, they were not annihilated, like the Seventh Day Adventists teach. They're still there, and they're and so when and when Satan is cast in there, he's going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan's not going to burn up in the lake of fire. Satan is going to be tormented there forever and ever. In verse eleven, it says, "And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away." And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. This is a good verse to show people who think that when they stand before God, He's going to check their works. You know, Good outweigh the bad. Look what happens to those who are judged according to their works. They're going to be cast in the lake of fire. It's real clear. It says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. Just think about some of these people that have been dead for thousands of years. They're still in hell. They didn't burn up in hell. They're going to get delivered up only to be cast into the lake of fire. It says, And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, folks, I don't think it's I don't think it's a stretch to say that you know, seeing that the lost are going to end up in the same place as the devil, you know, they're going to have the same fate as the devil. The lost aren't just going to burn up in hell; they're going to be tormented forever and ever. The smoke of their torment is going to ascend up forever and ever in the presence of the Lamb and of holy angels. And folks, I hate the thought of an eternal hell. I really do. I wish they just get thrown like a fire and burn up. I wish that was true. Uh, I'd feel better about that. And I don't... You know, and, I'll, and I'll admit this too. I don't understand eternal punishment. I don't, I don't understand that. It's like to me... You know, all right, if they live for a hundred years as sinners, how about they only just suffer for a hundred years? And after that, they're done. All right? you know, that, that's what I would prefer. I would just prefer to see them get burned up and just it be done. 
Okay? I, I, I don't pretend to understand it, but folks, I can't deny it. The Bible's very clear about it that hell is something that's forever. It, it doesn't end. That's why Jesus, you know, when he was warning, you know, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better. You know, you're better off being maimed. You're better off without that right eye than to be cast into hell fire where the fire where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. I mean, right there, that's pretty clear. Hey, the reason that's such a problem, you know, okay, yeah, you might have to go through life without a hand that would stink. But you know what? Their worm's not gonna die in heaven. I think that's a reference to them. Their carcass. It's gonna. It's gonna. It's not gonna die. That fire is not gonna be quenched. The fire is not gonna go out. It's gonna keep going, and it's gonna be forever and ever. We are gonna end up. Or if if, we're, if you're lost, you're gonna end up in the same place as the devil. You're gonna get the same punishment that he got. And folks, that stinks. Bad. And I don't get it. I do believe we will get it during this time. When we are glorified, when we are like Christ, when we receive that new body, when we now see sin the way God sees sin, we'll get it then. And you know what? You know, we'll, you know, we're gonna, we'll praise God when He does it. We'll realize that He is righteous and holy and just for doing what He's doing. In the meantime though, I'm just gonna say right now, I don't like it. I don't like the teaching of eternal hell. But I believe it. I can't deny it. I can't. I, it's too clear in the Bible. I don't understand it. And you know what? I would even go as far as saying that I personally don't agree with it. But who cares? Alright? Who cares if I don't agree with it? Just like, you know, who cares if I don't agree with the speed limit? If I get busted, I'm going to have to pay a ticket. There's a lot of laws I don't agree with, but I've got to deal with it. It's a law. And I might not necessarily, in my heart right now, agree with eternal punishment, but the Bible is clear there is eternal punishment, so you know what I can do about it? Instead of just getting mad about the law, I said, well, you know what? Maybe I can do what I can do to stop as many people from having to suffer that as possible. Maybe what I'll just do, you know, in, in the meantime, while I don't understand it, I'll let it motivate me to go tell other people about Jesus, about how they can avoid that eternal punishment and eternal torment. I mean, all they've got to do is just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's real easy. It doesn't take a lot of work. It doesn't take a whole lot of time to try to give somebody the Gospel. Why don't I just do that? Why don't I just have some compassion and try to make a difference? Why don't I just try to pull some people out of the fire? I don't want people to have to go through that. So you know what? Let's just see if I can't do something to stop as many people. And so you know what? If you don't like the teaching of eternal hell, great. Hate it. Alright? You know, have it go ahead, don't like it, just don't deny it, and you know what? Let it motivate you to go get some people saved. Spare as many people as you possibly can. That's what we ought to be doing, because this is what is to come. This is what we want people to miss out on. You know what? I mean, who cares about the tribulation? The tribulation is nothing compared to eternal punishment in hell. Even the wrath of God period on earth is nothing compared to eternal punishment in hell. I don't, I don't care about that. And yet, we've got guys today, I mean, that are so desperate 
to make their end times doctrine fit something that they've already decided, I mean, they're messing with the gospel. I mean, I, I hate to, this guy that put this video out, trash and Pastor Anderson, because he can't refute him. I mean, this guy, there's, I, I, I always give people the benefit of the doubt. There's no way this guy really believes that a changed life is required to be saved, even though that's exactly what he said. It's like there's, there's no way you really believe that, but you know what? He'll say that if that's what he's got to say to prove Pastor Anderson's a bad guy. That's, that's what he'll say because he's desperate. Guys like him, you know, and folks, that kind of teaching is going to lead people to hell. And you know what was really confusing? I just listened to Keith Gomez preaching a message when he preached real recently. This guy's all over the place with his doctrine. I'll hear him preach one message and he's like right on the money on salvation. And then I'll hear him preach another message and he's like off by a mile. You'll hear him preach. I heard him preach a message on justification one time. It was right on the money. And then right after that, I listened to him preach a message on James 2 and he was just like, he was off, he was off so far. And he was just preaching this message and he was talking about a guy who had, uh, who had come to this church. He had told him he had gotten saved before and everything. But then later, this guy ended up realizing he wasn't saved. This guy thought that because he changed some things in his life, he thought that because he changed his life and he started doing things like Christians do, he thought he was saved because of that. But he ended up learning that, you know what? Salvation, it's not about changing your life. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's about trusting in Jesus Christ. I'm thinking, is this coming from the guy that has in his doctrinal statement that you have to repent of your sins in order to be saved? I mean, I, I couldn't believe it when I heard him say this. I, mean, I can't figure out where these guys are at. They're so two-faced in their preaching. It depends on what they're talking about from day to day. But the, the, these people's minds are just... I believe God's messing with their minds. I really do because of their rejection of clear Scripture. And folks, Revelation 20 makes two things extremely clear. And one is that the rapture comes after the mark of the beast. And two, Gog and Magog is after the millennium. Pre-tribbers have got both of these things wrong. Both of these things wrong. And you know what? I'm not going to listen to a guy. If some guy tells me that I have to uh, change the life is required for salvation, I'm not listening to that guy. You know, I'm not going to listen to a guy tell me the timing of the rapture who's off by a thousand years. On Gog and Magog. I'm not going to do it. Actually, a thousand and seven years <laughs> they're off by. When they, th when they think it's going to be before the rapture. The Bible's clear on these things. You just got, you've got to be honest. And thank God, thank God for the real, this real movement of independent Baptists that are free to interpret the scriptures the way God intended. This movement is growing. More and more preachers are waking up to this thing. And you know what? These churches are getting on fire. They're getting people saved. They're making a difference while these old IFB churches are dying and they're crying. Why isn't there no revival? They're having their, their stupid conferences where they try to conjure up the Holy Spirit with their music, getting people all hyped up, running around. And they have their exciting services where they have their fun. But you know what? Nothing ever changes. Yeah, they got 14 people saved in that service. So it was the same 14 people got saved last year. But I'm very thankful. I, I, I thank God 
You know, he woke, he woke me up to this stuff. I thank God because, you know what? One thing too, I was always taught, you know, to respect the older generation. I do, I do, I do try to respect them. But you know, one of the things that I realized when I was coming around in this subject, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to listen to that older generation. One, because they don't have Bible. But two, chances are they're going to be dead before all this stuff goes down. It's me that's going to have to be standing during this time. And I don't want to have to be explaining to the people in my church while all of a sudden we're going through the tribulation when I promised them sunshine and roses. I don't want to. I don't want to have to be the one. I'm going to one that's going to have to explain that. I'm either going to be the one being here, experiencing it, or the one that's pre- preparing this generation. And so I, I do. I, I was like, you know what? I'm accountable to the people in my church, and the people I'm accountable to to the people after me, and the gener- the previous generation, they dropped the ball on this stuff. And so you shouldn't say that. You know what? Go read the book of Ezra. Go read the book of Daniel. Go read about the way these men in the past, they confessed the sins of their fathers. And you know what? God blessed them for that. It's high time we confess the sins of our fathers. They were lazy in their Bible study. They listened to TV preachers. They listened to guys that weren't Baptist. And they brought in leaven. The leaven of dispensationalism. And you know what? They're suffering today as a result of it. But you know what? We don't have to. There's a new generation that's here that is experiencing revival. Folks, we're going to probably have 50 people. Our, our little church is going to get a group of probably over 50 people out soul winning in the rough area of Chicago this week. They can't get... They, the old IFB couldn't do that to save their life. They, they can't. Why? Because their churches are dead. They don't know what revival is. That is revival right there when people are out preaching the gospel. And so, enough on that. Hopefully, you all got something from that. And I hope that was a blessing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your goodness to us. We thank You for Your Word, for the clarity of it. We thank You for uh, passages like Revelation 20 that make uh, some of these things so clear. Lord, we thank You, Lord, for vindicating us with Your Word through the Scriptures. Lord, we, You've already proven... Uh, that you know our teaching is right and we're right, but Lord, uh, it is it is going to be revealed before too long that we are right too, where everyone is going to know it. And Lord, in the meantime, I pray you'll help more people to stand up, not wait until it's uh, the popular thing. They'll do it now because it's the right thing. And Lord, I I uh, I pray you'll help us to prepare this generation that's to come. Lord, help this older generation that's. Uh, fading off the scene and dying off. Lord, help. Uh, I pray some of them may get right uh, before they die. But Lord, if not, I just pray to help us just uh, to move on without them. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go.